When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. Join the Minnesota Vikings, Frederick Spiel and Mike Zimmer. Great job. Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney in the first round. Jefferson, wide receiver, LSU. Gladney, cornerback, TCU. I love the two fourth-round picks. James Lynch, defensive lineman, Baylor, and Troy Dye, linebacker, Oregon. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? Who has the quickest long snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. And right off the bat, we have Courtney R. Draft Scout. Hello, Courtney. Uh, Are you recovered from Saturday's 14 conference call marathon or whatever it was? No, and I think it's probably going to take a couple more days. Uh, The fact that they signed 12 undrafted free agents, they're almost at 90. It feels like this marathon we've been enduring. And uh, it always takes me like a week to recover mentally from the draft just because there's so much information, this whole new set of players. And on top of it, like 12 undrafted free agents said some of them have some pretty interesting stories. I mean, the Courtney Davis signing, uh, obviously for my name's sake. Um, do you think he's Courtney, our draft scout too? Yes, and he spells it with a Q. So that is now how I think you Which need means to spell that I, well, since you already legally changed my name, I think that I should just go ahead and have to change it to Courtney with a Q. So have at it. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I think that makes sense. Uh, so from now on, instead of with a C, when you draft scout, it will be Q Artney, our draft scout, because of the undrafted free agent they signed. So I've created, Courtney, a five-question post-draft survey. So I want Sage to take my survey later, and I want you to take my survey now. So, first question on the post-Vikings draft survey is, which Vikings draft pick will be the best player for them long-term go? Honestly, it's probably going to be Justin Jefferson. And I know that that's the easy answer, but I think he was the best pick of any team in the NFC North, for sure. And especially you know for the Vikings to get him at 22 and the value and – all that he presents for this offense, to me, 
it's the highest ceiling and the highest reward that you could possibly have with any draft pick. Yeah, I I mean, I, I it's hard to disagree that, you know, the guy who's taken first and someone who could have easily been a top 15 pick has the best long-term future. I think there's probably a case for for a couple of their picks, um, you know, and then you could go with maybe yeah. a surprise. Cleveland, Cleveland being the other one. Yeah, or even a surprise Cameron Dantzler. Like, we make a lot out of his 40-yard dash, but we've seen this many times before where someone drops because of their 40. Remember Orlando Brown. You wanted Orlando Brown, who now plays for the Ravens a few years ago, and we thought, well, if he if he drops because of his 40-yard dash, the combine, his three-cone drill, well, that's not really football, and his football was really good. So I think the same thing goes for Cameron Dantzler, but uh, you know that we'll see on, on how that plays out. Now, Question number two on the post-draft survey is, which draft pick plays the most snaps in 2020? Hmm, that is a tough one. Well, I think you could you could go Justin Jefferson as an easy one. I think he's going to catch a lot of passes from Kirk Cousins. Um, I think just kind of given what we know right now from uh, Rick Spielman, about the offensive line and where they want to start Ezra Cleveland potentially, I think he could be one of those candidates. I mean, there's a little bit of vagueness from uh, Spielman on Saturday night that Reef is going to hold down the left side. He didn't say left tackle. He said left side. Yeah. So does that mean that they restructure his contract and he goes in the game and Ezra Cleveland uh, starts at left tackle? I don't know if that's the best decision, but it might end up being – um, it just might end up being what they have to do if they think that that's what you do to fix the offensive line. And then maybe an underrated one, I will say K.J. Osborne, because I think just given his history as a punt returner and all that Mike Hughes is going to be responsible for on special teams, that he may win that job because Cheryl doesn't, hasn't been resigned. Um, who knows if they will, but right now that job seems like it could very easily go to K.J. Osborne. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's most of the reason that they drafted him because they see him as an instant impact punt returner. But the offensive line is definitely something I want to get into here. So I guess I'll just ask you now is we had Thor Nystrom on the show earlier and he said he thinks that um, Riley Reef at guard and Ezra Cleveland starting at left tackle is a better option than the other way around, than Reef at left tackle and yes. uh, Ezra Cleveland starting at guard. And I thought, well, maybe Cleveland has a chance to play guard, but it's also has a, it's hard to figure out with no rookie mini camp, no mini, t- mini camp, no OTAs, where the guy even stands physically, um, because maybe he wasn't the best against power, but he might fit, uh, at, you know, sliding over and getting that experience or competing with Drew Samia and competing with you know Dakota Dozier, but we just aren't going to find these things out for a very, very long time. Yeah, and I mean, he's a high-ceiling offensive tackle, Cleveland, that is. So you know that down the road, it's probably going to work out for you if it all goes according to plan, and then you solve your problem at left tackle. But to ask him to start right away, like imagine if Brian O'Neill was in that same situation two years ago. Uh, when he was drafted, and they started Mike Remmers immediately at right guard, which they did anyways, and then if they didn't have Rashad Hill there, I think he would have been in a much tougher situation. And yeah, yeah, he was a converted tight end. His process was expedited already, but I think that a player like Ezra Cleveland, who's played left tackle for several years at Boise State, um, he has a little bit of right tackle experience too, you know, maybe he's better suited right now, Six what, six seven three eleven to, to play that role, but I still think it's tough because you don't have the normal acclimation process 
Like, mm-hmm. let's not kid ourselves here. Playing offensive line is hard, and doing it without, like, the time you need to develop your body into an NFL player is going to be really tough. And, you know, I, I just I feel like if they don't get together until training camp, virtual OTAs, whatever, you're, you're going over, like, pass sets on a Zoom call. How, how effective is that really going to be? <laughs> yeah, yep. Like, I just, I just don't, I mean... I'm not trying to like undersell the importance of it. I think the teams, I you know, I personally think the Saints are dumb for doing what they're doing. Saying just come back in the best shape of your life. Like, no, you need to be in constant contact. You need to learn the playbook or at least like the initial install of everything. But the actual technique part of what he's going to have to do in this offense and like physically being able to be around the other offensive linemen, have his coaches touch him and figure out, hey, this is where your hand needs to be, not right. here. Here's how your right. footwork needs to look like. Like, that's going to be tough. So, I don't know. Like, I think that Ezra Cleveland is going to be a very good player for this team. I just, you know, I agree with you that it's probably better to, instead of taking your left, like, teams that do this, where they take their tackle and then put him at guard, the one they just drafted, you wonder why that doesn't work out. Well, because he's a tackle. He's not a freaking guard. So, we've said this before about Riley Reese that he had guard flexibility and that they had been yep. wanting to try this out last year. They just didn't. Yeah, so that's something that maybe I didn't mention, you know, the other day when they picked him because I thought maybe he would slide in at guard because left tackle is really, really hard. But if they do get to camp and he shows that he's pretty far along as a left tackle, and maybe you, you know, Riley Reef is so experienced as a veteran player that he could slide inside. That remains a possibility. But I think that that's going to be uh, very hard to do with a shortened camp for anybody. So we should expect Ezra Cleveland to probably not start right away. And uh, Jeff Gladney, yeah. I, I think Jeff Gladney plays the most snaps of of any uh, draft pick from 2020. So the next question on the post draft survey is: I, I want you to give me a player that you liked uh, in the draft that you would have liked to have seen the Vikings land, even if it wasn't really possible at the time. The way the board fell. Well, I do think that, and trust me, the guard class this year was not. Like terrific. I mean, I just think that there were options for them not to wait until the last part of day three to address the interior of the offensive line because unless you bring in a veteran in Kalechio Assembly, maybe a Gabe Jackson, any of those guys that are still out there, you're going to be relying on Drew Samia, Pat Alfine, Dakota Dozier. I don't know, maybe Ole Udo. I don't really know what he's supposed to do. I don't really know what his job is. He was, you know, they drafted him as a tackle, but apparently he has guard flexibility, whatever. You're relying on the guys you have on your roster to fix your offensive line, basically your current players. So I don't know if that's going to fix everything. But I will say that I think, um, you know, just based on, you know, what the guard class looked like, you know, the Lloyd Cushenberries and the Logan Sternbergs, I mean, they were available to the Vikings, you know, when they picked uh, in the later rounds, post day two and three. So, I mean, I think there were options for them to maybe package a few of those picks and trade up to address the offensive line, the interior of mm-hmm. it, maybe third, fourth, fifth round. I think that was possible. Um, but I'm just not, you know, I'm not certain that, you know, that was in the cards for them. Because as Rick Spielman said, they tried to trade up and it was just difficult um, and they weren't able to get it done. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing. I also don't like the Nate Stanley pick. I mean, if there's one I was going to be kind of critical of, it's probably that one because I spent some time this morning watching back his senior t- his you know 2019 tape from Iowa, and I'm just not. I think he's stiff. I don't think that this is 
it feels like a throwaway pick to me, and it didn't have to be. I'm not saying that they had to get James Morgan in the fourth round, but I don't, I don't really like this pick. That's one that I'm just not too too fond of. So, who would you have rather have seen them get for a developmental quarterback? Because I think they were going to draft one either way. Yeah, I mean, I like James Morgan. I mean, he was somebody, the guy out of FIU, who I thought would have been a good fit uh, down the road. James, uh, Jake Fromm. Like, I know that maybe yeah. that's a bit of a reach and that would have been higher than they wanted to go, but I just feel like a seventh-round quarterback, um, that's your practice squad guy. And I get it. You didn't want to get into a bidding war again like you did last year for uh, Jake Browning. And, and that's, they come with a price. They're expensive. So I get why they didn't do it and why they just went ahead and drafted him. But that's – I would have probably gone a little higher. Because, uh, I mean, this to me just kind of feels like a, a throwaway pick. And it didn't have to be. Yeah, most of the time, if you're drafting a quarterback in the seventh, you are basically lighting that pick on fire. And in the best-case scenario, he becomes what Sean Mannion already is for them. All right, question number four on the post-draft survey is which non-Vikings team blew the draft, which team did great? I think I know who you're going to say would blew the draft. Well, I mean, it's Green Bay. Like, is there yeah. any other answer? <laughs> no, not, mean, not a comparison. Yeah, I mean, you could probably say, like, New England, Houston had a terrible draft. Um, New England was kind of baffling, too. Uh, I was, I don't know, that one kind of surprised me. But the Packers not drafting a wide receiver. And I personally don't buy what Brian Gutekunst said about, like, well, we didn't think the wide receiver draft was that deep, actually. Like, all other okay. 31 of you teams are wrong. Like, that was a little weird to me. So, you're effectively turning Aaron Rodgers into a game manager because he has nothing around him next year. He has, I mean, unless you're going to go running back by committee with uh, Jones, Williams, and whoever the dude was that they got out of Boston College, like it just feels really weird that they didn't, that they just spent their draft capital the way that they did. It doesn't make a whole ton of sense. Um, so that's probably like the worst one. And I guess, I mean, Chicago didn't do much either. I did like the Jalen Johnson pick. That's about the only one I liked yep. that they made. Uh, but you're, you, you were right. Like, I mean, everybody's basically from the NFC North is wrapping uh, the draft and giving giving a giant gift to the Minnesota Vikings, who <laughs> yes. killed it. I mean, they did really good this year, and none of the other teams did. So I thought that was, uh, you know... The way that that whole thing panned out, like everything basically fell into the Vikings' lap this year. All right, last question on the post-draft survey is, give me the day three pick you are interested in. In terms of highest ceiling, somebody I just want to know more about. However that strikes you. Uh, you know, Vikings day three pick, there are many, many options here. Who um, can you sort of not wait to see once we get to training camp? I'm excited about Harrison Hand, and I know that I mentioned this on Saturday. Like, I think the position flexibility of, like, what what kind of cornerback is he in certain schemes? Can this guy play safety? I mean, all we know about him is that he's a really good run stopper. Um, and if you're playing him up near the line of scrimmage in kind of a hybrid role, that might be your best fit. Like, but can he be can he be a safety? I mean, can he be a cornerback in certain schemes? Like, what what is he? So, of the many cornerbacks that they signed either in undrafted free agency or in, as draft picks, I think he's probably the most intriguing one. Um, I am excited to see what DJ Wanham develops into and becomes uh, under Andre Patterson because you look at the last few years with. You know, Armin Watts that was a good pick for them in the sixth round in 2019, and just the early on 
we know this year he's going to play a different role. I'm not really all that like convinced that Jalen Holmes is going to be something until we start mm-hmm. seeing if he's actually going to play. Yep. Uh, Jaleel Johnson's ceiling is what it is. So it's like, I want this fourth-round defensive end to present something that we expected from the last two fourth-round defensive ends that just didn't pan out. Like, And this one honestly looks more like a version of Daniel, a light version of Daniel Hunter. I know some people got a little testy when I said that, but physically speaking, he had a lot of the same measurables. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll be very curious to see what he develops into. Have you uh, 2021 draft simmed yet, Courtney? You know, I haven't. I haven't uh, mm. done my big board. I haven't started organizing my big board for 2021. Uh, I'll have to wait <laughs> a, a couple months to see if we even have a college football season. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a weird world the last two days without draft simming. I don't really know who I am anymore. <laughs> Uh, we're all going to have to find ways to entertain ourselves now differently um, from now on. Well, thank you, Courtney, for all of your help during draft season. You will be on uh, tomorrow to break down more of these things with us. And if anybody missed it, you can go back and listen to our instant analysis of day three and also what happened with Trent Williams. So, Courtney, we will talk to you tomorrow. All right. Thanks. Yep. Thanks for uh, thanks for popping on there, Courtney. Um, all right. Now, Sage Rosenfels. Jumps right into the fray. Courtney's out. Sage, the backup quarterback, comes in. Uh, what's up, uh, Sage? How are you? Well, I, I tell you what, you know, Courtney really has a very good handle on this draft, and, and she's obviously spent a lot of time going through each pick mm-hmm. and why each pick is good or bad or whatever. And I do agree with her. The Vikings, I think the Vikings have a, had a good draft, a, a very good draft. That's what the, you know the quote unquote experts say. You never know it until three or four years down the road or even you know a year down the road at least and you see how many of these guys do step in and how they play and, and those types of things. But you know they had some needs, and they definitely went heavy on those needs. They had a wide receiver need. They got a couple of those. They had a cornerback need. They had a couple of those. They had a defensive need. Uh, they went after that position. You know, D-tackle, they had another one of those. And, and you know, guard is a good development position, and they got a couple of those guys later, um, which I like because, you know, those guys might be practice squad because they're late-round draft picks, but I do believe in Rick Dennison as a coach and, and as a as a teacher, and that's one of those positions you want to develop. And so it's okay; it's good to to draft some later, uh, uh, some some of that draft capital, that late draft capital, on guys that are development guys. And I like that. So I I really do. Obviously, they had a ton of picks, and they made those trades. Uh, what's really amazing to me is it seemed like they made a couple of trades to move down and still got a lot, mm-hmm. like yep. a lot of really good players. And so um, I think they had a great draft. We'll have to see how it all unfolds. Uh, but uh, you know when and, and you know people say draft best player available. It's like yeah, but what if uh, you know you've already got a whole bunch of running backs and the best your right. best two players available are running backs. You don't draft running back. That'd be stupid, right? So I think they went with need and in, in a mix of like of course you know best player available as you go later in the draft. But uh, you know if they if they had an issue a gaping hole at, at one spot. It seemed like they threw a lot of water on it. Like we have a receiver issue. Let's go get a couple of receivers, not just one, but let's you know get one early, but also take a chance at another one down the line. So um, you know, th- th- I think they're going to cover their tracks, even if they make some mistakes in in, in this draft, which every team does. Um, but uh, and, and you know, maybe w- if one of these receivers ends up, ends up being a really good starter, it's a it's a it's a it's a great move at the receiver thing, and it might not be Justin Jefferson. It might be you know the other. 
the other picks. And so, uh, you know, we'll see how this thing develops over time. But, of course, on paper, man, it really does look like Rick Spielman and his group have done an excellent job adding uh, some really good players to this roster. I also, and this is not because I'm an Iowa State guy, <laughs> but I also did not love Nate Stanley coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I've watched him play for years. You know, I do a radio show every Monday night at 5 o'clock in Des Moines, Iowa for KXNO, and it's Chuck Long talking about the Hawkeyes, and it's Sage Rosenfels talking about the, the Iowa State Cyclones. And so even if I don't see a ton of Nate Stanley, I, 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 it's obviously a, a part of my weekly conversation talking about this quarterback. And the, he's the guy that has these, like, tangible numbers. He's big and strong and but he's not a very good athlete, and he's not a great thrower. He's got a strong arm, but it's not like he's uh, you know, some gamer or anything like that. He does miss plenty of throws. Um, I don't see the upside. I don't see as like, let's let's take a chance on a guy. And if you're going to draft somebody uh, in the Vikings quarterback situation, you're probably going to take a chance on a guy that has you know some real um, um, upside to him. And I just don't see that upside. He'll probably end up becoming Tom Brady. But I'm just not seeing that upside <laughs> from him, or even like a unique gadget thing where it's you know, hey, it's a sixth or seventh round pick. But if he comes into the game, you know, we think we could maybe uh, you know put a different type of offense around him, and he could run more, or he can do this. He mm-hmm. doesn't do anything really, really well, and you'd like to have some things uh, that that a guy does well, and and he's not super accurate, and he looks the part. He gets off the bus, man. He's going to look like an NFL quarterback. I just have not seen him do those things consistently at his time at the University of Iowa. And, and again, like I'm not trying to hit on the Iowa quarterback because I'm an Iowa State guy, but I that surprised me in particular with some other picks on the board. And, and on top of it, you know, Jake Fromm was a fifth round draft pick. Yeah, like I did like Jake Fromm, and I thought that he was a guy that could be sort of more NFL ready. And and I'm surprised he didn't go higher. Uh, those two guys to me, Fromm is the much better player. And he was drafted, you know, just around in front. So if you're going to get one, go ahead and get that guy in the fifth round and go up and move up and, and give some of those draft picks up maybe and get get the guy that I thought was a better player. But, you know, I'm not the GM, and, and uh, you know, we'll see how these, these draft picks all unfold over the course of the next three or four years, and maybe we, we can revisit this conversation we're having right now about Fromm, Stanley, you know, whoever in three or four years, and we'll see which, which one of these guys are still in the league and which one, when, which one of these guys are completely out of it. So I want to circle back to the second round with you, where they get Ezra Cleveland in the late second round. And the way that that was playing out was actually fairly dramatic on Friday night because you're seeing a lot of good players go off the board that the Vikings might have been, been interested in. So Robert Hunt, the guard, Eder Gross Matos, the defensive end. And, and as they start to come off the board, these guys that might interest the Vikings Jalen Johnson is another guy. Trayvon Diggs, potentially. Uh, Raquan Davis, the interior defensive lineman. You're saying, okay, all right, well, we're getting closer, and the tackle hasn't been taken yet, so what do they do here? Is Trent Williams still in the mix? And we all along liked the idea of Trent Williams, Sage, but on Friday I decided that you know the risk is pretty significant with Trent Williams, especially if you are signing him as a long-term player as part of the deal. And I I said if they could get Ezra Cleveland, I would prefer that to get yeah. the young left tackle and develop him uh, over these future years rather than pouring so many assets. You have to trade draft picks for him. You have to sign him to a big contract. He's going to take up a bunch of space. And meanwhile, the guy has not played 16 games since 2013. He's got a serious injury history. It's like, you know, th- this played out just so perfectly for them to be able to get Ezra Cleveland in the second and not have to trade up and not have to give up draft assets for, for Trent Williams. 
I like the way this played out better than if they had traded for him. Should NFL GMs and head coaches just put a um, like a recording about every second round draft pick and say we had him as a first rounder? <laughs> <'Cause I> think, <laughs> that's yeah. just a thing, yes. right? Um, and I, I think the Vikings had him probably as a guy they thought some teams might love him and be a, a first rounder, late first rounder. They obviously really liked him. It looks like to me, and, and you know, Boise State. We talk about sometimes like Iowa Hawkeye offensive line play. Uh, or certain schools that maybe are, are just good at coaching a position consistently over time. Um, Boise State, I think, is one of those schools. It's not a power five, you know, whatever type of school, but they seem, and like North Dakota State is one of those schools. They seem to have guys who have been coached well, who have developed, and, and he's a guy that, and, you know, we talk about quarterback being an expensive position that takes a lot of salary cap space. Left tackle is one of those positions, too. So if they can get a guy that is going to play, at that position, that left tackle, and he's inexpensive, that is huge getting him in the second round. And I think he'll be able to come in uh, and, 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 and watching him, you know, some of his highlights and watching him on film a little bit actually just last night, he looks like a guy, of course, he needs some seasoning, of course, he needs taught, but this isn't a completely raw project. Yeah, a lot he of experience, the, three years lot of experience. experience. Yep. Uh, he fits the scheme. You watch him move. He's he ran a four nine something. So everyone was freaking out about uh, the Iowa offense. I'm in, uh, worse uh, running the four eight two or something like mm-hmm. that. He ran four nine three. The outside zone scheme. They like guys that can run. They're not looking for the the Bryant McKinney's three hundred sixty pounds. So he sort of checked a lot of these boxes. That is, you know, a starting left tackle for this type of offense, for this type of team. Uh, it's it's a it's a really really good fit. Uh, it looks like to me he's got sort of shorter legs. So I know you want to get into like the anatomy aspect <laughs> of it, but you actually sometimes like squadier guys. So they're they're lower to the ground. They can create leverage. He has long arms, so he just fits a lot of things. And I think he's a good player. But we'll see how that that out in the NFL. But I do like this pick. You know, they they think they got a starting left tackle in the second round. Um, I, I was having some conversations with some people about the Trent Williams trade. That was definitely a real possibility. It was, you know, it, but it did, didn't happen. And once that didn't happen, the Vikings said, you know, and that this guy was available. That's when they made that decision. And it was also, you know, fair, I think fairly well known uh, in the inner circles there that San Francisco was dealing with the situation with Joe Staley, who was sort of waiting to retire. Yeah. But he was trying to help out the 49ers of trying to time it out right, and they timed it out right, and, and they got the guy they needed uh, in Trent Williams for that system. So that worked out great for San Francisco. Uh, you know, the Vikings didn't want to wait, or maybe it was the money, or the who I don't know what exactly what it was, but it didn't work out, and, and they still drafted and they got their guy. So the Vikings had a good pick. They needed corners, they got corners. They needed receivers, they got receivers. They needed left tackle, they got left tackle. Uh, you hope these defensive ends work out, uh, or one of them or so. But you, you, you just look at the, the 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 games played and the the physical attributes. You know, some of the corners are really long. You know, mm-hmm. I like some long, like uh, you know, Namdi Asamoa from the Raiders end up being in Philly at the end. But he was long, and and they have a, a guy they drafted that has that type of cover, you know, skill set. So you know, it's hit. Or, we all know it's hit or miss. But they definitely threw a lot of gasoline on the fires, uh, uh, or there's you know water on the fires that they had issues with, whatever it might be. They, they you know they if they had an issue, they didn't just draft one guy; they drafted two. And I and I like uh, that way of thinking when you're trying to you know draft uh, draft for need. And the Vikings definitely had some needs. I think it was the wrong metaphor, but you should have just rolled with it. You should just like yeah, gasoline on the fire. Sort of both. You know, we have squad. fires, we have issues. Let's put 
not gassing them. I guess I guess it's because it's more water. Yeah, but, uh, putting out some. They fires. covered their bases twice. <laughs> you know, it's uh, yes. Which I, and they had all those draft picks, and they moved to move down and to get a whole bunch of draft picks. And again, you know, you don't know if they, you know, hey, a team threw in a couple, you know, fifth rounders or seventh rounders or whatever these things might be. But if one of two of them hit for four years. That is that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's huge because the aspect of you know inexpensive guys and you can mold those guys and teach those guys and develop a football team uh, without having to you know spend a ton of money in draft capital. Uh, you know that is that's a luxury to have. And I, and I think again, I, I do believe the Vikings had a really good draft. The quarterback, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Okay, I need you to take the post draft survey when we return, and then your reactions to where the different quarterbacks went, including the controversial Jordan Love to the Packers pick. We will do that all when we return. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here on Score North. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience, and standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North and many of our local advertising partners remain open for business during the coronavirus pandemic. You can hear from them daily right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. We are all in this together, and we need your support to help our local community. To hear from our area partners, please visit scorenorth.com. Use the keyword open. Ezra Cleveland, drafted by the Vikings, talking with the media and talking about the draft and reuniting with a former Boise State Bronco on the Vikings, saying, Alex was the first person I texted when I you know, got the call from the Vikings, and me and him celebrated together because this has been a dream of ours since he left here. He, I remember I was one of his big reasons is teetering, either leaving or coming or uh, coming back. So being with him again is definitely a really cool experience. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right. Thank you, Jonathan, Matthew Collar, and Sage Rosenfels here on Purple Daily. If you missed any of our day three coverage over the weekend, go to wherever you get your podcasts. I did a live stream on uh, Twitter slash Facebook slash Twitch and whatever other things are on the Internet. And uh, so we have the audio of that. And then Courtney and I talked about the Trent Williams thing and uh, broke down her favorite picks as well. And so for today, I created the post-draft survey, which Courtney took in the first segment, and I want you to take now as well, Sage. Mm -hmm. So let us begin the survey here with which Viking draft pick will be the best player for them long term. I knew it. I knew it. um, man, oh man! Oh I know man. you love making predictions. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> you know, I, I am, I'm intrigued by, you know, the, the obviously the Jefferson, um, you know, the the first pick, uh, Justin Jefferson. That that he is more of a slot guy, mm-hmm. and that does intrigue me. I, I'm wondering if he can be sort of like Stephon Diggs, where he doesn't have necessarily like the attributes of that classic outside receiver. Uh, you know, he doesn't have blazing speed, uh, you know, but he does obviously have the ability to, to separate, to, uh, you know, to win, you know, playing in, in that conference, which is, you know, a great conference, and, and shoot LSU, the, the, the cornerbacks that he's going against 
every single day are ext- as about as talented as you're going to get yep. in the country. So, you know, and this guy had 18 touchdowns last year. But the fact that he isn't, you know, Julio Jones or, you know, one of these guys that people had tagged as, you know, uh, your, your classic outside receiver, and the Vikings need an outside receiver. So that one is intriguing to me um, as um, I worry a little bit about being a first-round draft pick and not the ability to be outside and inside. But I'm hoping he can be sort of like a Stephon Diggs type of player who you sometimes think is maybe an inside guy, but, man, Stephon could do outside and inside, and he could win the one-on-one 50 balls, and he could also tear people up in the slot. This kid does have a natural ability about him, um, but he doesn't have those like crazy combine mm-hmm. stats that make you go like, "Oh my God, this guy!" I mean, DJ Metcalf or DK Metcalf last year like sort of go like, "Oh, that guy! Look at that guy!" You know, he's not going to freak people out when he gets off the bus. You know, he's probably going to fit in with all the other uh, smaller guys in the football team, right? But uh, he obviously has the production, and I do like receivers that can just flat out produce, especially in a pro style offense that they had. He'll be a guy that can come in right away. And at the very worst, he'll be the third guy. I think he'll be a really good slot guy. I think he'll be able to play outside as well. So I I do think that long term, I think he'll be, I'm not sure if he'll be a great player, but I do think he's going to be a very good wide receiver for this team. I I don't see the the, the, uh, Laquan Treadwell sort of red flags <laughs> yeah. uh, that I saw from Laquan and all the video. Because I, you know, I watched a lot of Joe Burrow this this winter, uh, this offseason before the draft. I wasn't looking at this, this receiver per se, but obviously he was one of a couple, uh, three, four really good wide receivers on that team. And, and he was you know, as, uh, as productive uh, as anyone on that football team. So I'm looking forward to him. The corners, you just don't know. You know, I mean, so the, the first guy they got is not a long guy. He's five 5'11". He's not super fast either. The guy looks like just a heck of an athlete and can compete. You hope that works out. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping that the left tackle, it, it, you know, to draft the left tackle, that's, a, that's, a, that's when if you get it right, you're, you're good for a long, long time. You know, yes. probably longer than corner. Like, corners don't play for – very often to play for 12 years, 10, 12 left tackles can do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be really, really nice if, if Ezra Cleveland ended up being that guy at that position for a long time. Uh, you know, that would be awesome if he ends up being like a Joe Staley or something or a Dwayne Brown, somebody that you draft that can run this scheme, that can play for a long time in the NFL. That would be a huge, huge pick for this franchise for for a decade to come. Yeah, in terms of the best player, I mean, Jefferson is the obvious pick because he's a guy that um, probably was a top 15 prospect. Then he drops down to where the Vikings are at and steps right into a situation where he can get a lot of footballs right away, uh, which also plays into the, you know, who's going to be the best player. Well, he drops into a good circumstance with a good system and a good quarterback and, and so forth. Um, the I, I think the the underrated or if you were trying to hot take who could have a chance to be the best player it's probably Cameron Dantzler because he's a football player if you want to use some severe draft language but he he didn't run a very good 40 at the NFL combine and then he hurt himself even more by putting out a video of him running the 40 where his agent or whoever did the video said he ran a 438 but he didn't (laughs) Run a four three eight. So he's not the fastest guy, but um, the people who I really trust when it comes to watching the film have talked about just how good of a football player he was. His instincts, his ability to move, making plays on the ball, breaking up passes, and and so you might get I'm a, see a if steal I can, there. 
I'm going to see if I can find some Cameron Dantzler film. He's not a guy I've, I've looked into too much, but you know the numbers of, and that's where the, uh, and this is who I was talking about when I was talking about Namdi Asamoah, uh, the length. The you know he's over six two. He's long and lanky, and those guys can be really good at corner. Um, they're not always as physical, but the jam at the line to have those long arms to 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 uh, move receivers. The question, of course, is his feet. He does not have the speed four six four. Uh, but you know the, the the length and those types of things that that can't be coached, that can't be improved upon. He is that natural gifted athlete, and, and I think he does move around well. He's a productive, you know, type of guy, and and he, you know, you don't have to be the fastest guy to be a man-to-man guy, but you have to have some unique attributes, and I think his length is going to be one of those attributes that could help him uh, in this you know man-to-man type scheme that you see a lot. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely not Antoine Winfield. Right, he's yeah, not the yeah. short, squatty guy that could. Right. Hey, uh, let's move him to safety if he doesn't work out a corner. He's not <laughs> right. that guy. He's either corner or nothing. Um, but uh, you know, he's a football player, and I like those guys that are, you know, all the stuff you talk about the combine and things. But can they just play ball? You know, and, yep. I, and a lot of teams miss those guys, like the West Walkers of the world. You know, they don't have those tangible numbers from the combine or whatever, but they can just play ball. And he's one of those guys that sounds like is just a good ball player. Well, I, I just sent you some Cameron Dantzler tape, so you can. Uh, that tape um, and we'll get your analysis on that maybe on Wednesday but uh, I want you to tell me for question two of our Vikings post-draft survey which pick plays the most in 2020 Justin Jefferson he has to come off right off the bat he's got to be the starter if he's not a starter this season I don't care how long training camp is I don't care if it's a week if he's not a starter this season uh, at the minimum, minimum is the third guy. Mm-hmm. We got problems. We got he's he's struggling to pick up a system. I, I know you know I know the physical aspect of all this is uh, with these guys having no off season and that's going to be a challenge. Uh, but this guy has been in an NFL system and he has to be. Uh, uh, they have all the Zoom off season meetings and all these things going on now. He has to mentally, uh, he, and in some ways he should he should have more time to to learn the offense. But he needs to come right off the bat. He needs to start right away because they obviously need that number two receiver uh, uh, you know, to be a player. And, you know, the Vikings did what the Packers didn't do, by the way. We haven't gotten to the Packers, but they knew they had a situation at receiver, and mm-hmm. they got one. They got a receiver. The Packers had a situation receiver and didn't. It's not even like with the last uh, last pick of the draft. It blows my mind yeah, that they too. didn't spend. Uh, doesn't have to be the first rounder. Doesn't even have to be a second rounder. But when you have a starter for Aaron Rodgers and really no one big time across from him at all, and I love my guy Al Lazard, but he's not freaking football teams out. He's not scaring people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they the fact they you know get a couple guys in the third or something and try to swing twice like what the Vikings did on those gaping holes. Uh, just makes sense. And I don't think Jordan Love was a first round draft pick. I, I think he was one of those guys that. Uh, you know, he was. There's some things missing in, in second rounder. I think a lot of teams had him as a second rounder, and um, but you know that's. And then they went for running back, a position they also have some good depth at already. So it's like, how can we take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands? That 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 seems to be the game plan there. But in, in Minnesota, uh, that we knew we know Adam Thielen and 
and the tight ends are and the running back is only as good as that other receiver position and, and Kirk Cousins as well. And so they went off and and, and, and drafted some players and, and Justin Jefferson, he has to be a guy right off the bat. So, that, that that cannot be a miss for if this season's gonna be successful at all. I will say the guy that plays the most is Jeff Gladney because uh, they don't really have any other corners. Now, yes. they, now they have Dantzler and we'll see where he comes in. Uh, they have Hughes. They have Holton Hill. Um, so you've got other guys in there to compete uh, Chris Boyd too. But when you only have four guys or five guys for three spots. And there's a pretty good chance that Jeff Gladney, the first-round pick, starts at the outside corner position and plays almost every down uh, if he can, if he's capable right away. And I know that Mike Zimmer does like to bring these guys along a little slower, so maybe there's a rotation and situational stuff. But I see Gladney as someone who could step in right away. Now, your take, though, on... How they should handle Ezra Cleveland if he looks good to them early in camp? Like, should he play left tackle and move in Riley Reef? Should he? Should they try him at guard at first and then bump him out to left tackle after uh, this year? Like, what should be the plan there? You know, I actually think in this offense, if he can pass protect, uh, he should be the left tackle. I, I think that's a question. Can he pass protect? Uh, you know, better than Riley at, at that position because that is the challenge. Riley does an, a, a really good job in the running game, I think. Not as great in the, in the, in the pass protection you know, aspect of the position. And if he can do that, that would be an upgrade. So uh, I would love to put him in one spot um, and allow him to learn one position instead of going, okay, we think he's going to be a future left tackle, but let's le- let's work with him at guard or at right tackle. And then at some point in a year or two years from now, let's flip him over or midseason. Or that, I-, I think you try to put him at left tackle, you see where he goes, and you know that Riley can move to guard if need be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, training camp's a long ways away. These discussions are a long ways away because uh, the Vikings aren't going to see these guys compete against or, or work really in a group for a while. So, uh, you know, that, that that's going to be a question mark. But I do like putting him at that left tackle position, knowing that, you know, Riley could learn how to play guard yeah. fairly easily. Those veteran guys, they, they just they know how to do it. And he's not um, overly tall and stiff that he can't bend a little bit and mm-hmm. you, know, you need a little more leverage when you're uh when you're a guard you play a little closer to the ground and i think he's the guy that's not stiff that could move into guard and probably you know i think be a very good guard and so uh, and that's a you know position of need i think for this football team as well right now so you know you're looking for offensive linemen it'd be great if i think they could put him at one spot uh, Ezra Cleveland and, and at that left tackle position and try to, you know, uh, I'm hoping he's good enough to play so we can have that flexibility with Riley Reef. All right, next question here on the survey is I want you to give me one player in the draft that you loved and would have liked to have seen the Vikings end up with, even even if that wasn't possible. But if it had happened, you would have said, that is a great pick. Well, you know, and I, I've talked on the show about a lot of things leading up to this draft, and we've talked about that I had a chance to work with a couple of these quarterbacks. I was really impressed by Anthony Gordon when I worked out with him, and I spent five days with him. I literally lived in a three-bedroom apartment in Denver, Colorado for five days, and we woke up. They went and worked out. Of course, I watched them work out. They didn't work out with them. And then we went through, and then we came back, and we watched film for three, four, five hours. And then we would, like, watch playoff football. It was a great experience. And I've seen a lot of these quarterbacks, and I've gone through a lot of them, and I really thought he's a type of guy. Uh, he's not flashy, and you mm-hmm. don't see the huge upside, but I don't see the big upside in Drew Brees either. And I'm try- not trying to say he's Drew Brees, but sometimes guys can just play. And I thought he was a guy that could just 
could play. And, um, you know, he wouldn't blow the doors off of anybody. But I loved his quick release. I love his accuracy and decision-making. Those are things I, I constantly think about and, and talk about when I'm discussing quarterbacks. And he does a lot of those things. And, and the ability to you know throw from small spaces, he's a super likable kid. Um, and, and so, but, you know, he wasn't drafted. And I thought the Vikings could, uh, he would have been a good guy rather than, than Stanley, another sort of pocket passer. I, I thought I thought that uh, Anthony Gordon would have been one of those guys that I would love to see. I, you know, I, I, I probably should have sent the text off to Coobs or something and say, hey, I really love this guy. You should take a peek at him a little bit more. But I think he would have been a good fit for this team where you don't have to be a hero to be a good quarterback. Uh, and he's got that quick release and, you know, playing indoors in, in the in the in U.S. Uh, Bank Stadium. I thought he would have been a nice fit. Um, other than that, trying to think about, uh, you know, the running backs or uh, – you know, it is amazing, by the way, how many guys go from Clemson and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, LSU. The whole team Alabama. The SEC conference. Yes. That, the, the, we, we could talk about that. But the SEC conference just in general – dominating this draft, in particular along the defensive lines, the receivers, the cornerbacks, uh, these you know very athletic positions. The SEC was uh, something else. And uh, the number of players that LSU and, and Alabama and Clemson had drafted is amazing to me, uh, the, the, the athletes that they have on those football teams. They are playing their regular seasons in college football with a loaded deck compared to most of the other football teams. And that, to me, is the thing that probably stood out most about this draft, you know, what was that. But uh, um, I would like to, I would like Anthony Gordon to, 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 be a, to be a Viking, and, you know, plus I know him. There's a lot, a lot of selfish things in those. But, I, you know, I really do think that he could be a successful quarterback in this league, and he's got a unique skill set. And, and I think a lot of the things that I saw would, tran- would have translated well to NFL football. Yeah, I- in terms of a developmental quarterback in the late rounds or undrafted, I think what you want, fans want, and I think that there is some logic to bringing it up, is somebody who might have a high end to them because they do something really well, and they pick the guy that doesn't have that. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's the diamond, the rough thing. Yeah, Every GM yeah. wants to be the guy who drafts somebody out of the NAI school, and he's got this unique guy. Then he shows up, and it's like, oh, man, he's terrible. But, you know, <laughs> one, out of five, one out of five ends up being Adam Thielen. Yeah, and you're like, oh, look at you know, Rick Spielman's a genius <laughs> for getting Adam Thielen, yeah. you know, where he got him, and so so that's just a general thing. I think GMs look for those possible home runs, those diamonds in the rough, because if you just hit on one of the you know four guys that's drafted after the fifth round, and one of them ends up being like a starter, you're like, oh, look 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 what he did there as far as a you know head coach, general manager, instead of sometimes I think is the guys that man just put up just produce just produce really good numbers and you know those air raid offenses are interesting they're asked to do and the, the, you know they, they run like 10 passing plays and like two running plays with mm-hmm. mike leach and, and there's <laughs> yeah. various offenses around there like that but the quarterback is pretty much asked to go win every football game that's that's hard right. to do yeah that's a responsibility that uh that nate stanley did not, did not have to do at iowa that 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 sage rosenfels did not have to do i'm talking the third person now i didn't have to do at iowa state i was a part of the team uh the guys that literally go okay if i don't play well tonight washington state is going to lose and probably lose badly because someone else is going to throw six ton top touchdown passes on the other side right so those guys that sort of put the shoulder uh the team on their back drew Brees did that at purdue Yep, and I think Gardner Minshew too, a guy who Gardner you know, Minshew made a name for himself I, and, his first year, and the and the millions of reps that they have. 
You know, they just throw the ball all the time, all practice, all, you know, all off season. It's not, you know, correct footwork for running, you know. Now, they're not taught a lot also, so there's all this sort of upside. They don't go after, you know, the traditional five-star recruits because Leach never thinks he can get them. So he finds these guys, I think, that they have some moxie and they have some, uh, you know, some confidence about them. And then they end up doing pretty good in the NFL. They're not scared to make throws because they've been having to make throws and footballs in the tight windows since they were 18 years old under, you know, these various uh, uh, air raid offenses. So they just have those reps and they have that thing and, and those numbers. And, and I understand the offense is different and the NFL is a little bit different. But, you know, I think those to me, uh, the, the production thing, those are also good guys to, to find uh, late in the draft because, you know, sometimes they end up being one of those players that go like, why didn't we see the the unique skill set that they had, which for you know Wes Welker was getting separation. It, it wasn't exactly how fast or how tall he was, but if you watched him in college, nobody was ever near him when he caught the football because he find, had a way in zone to sort of find the soft spot and man to separate from his wide receivers. And that doesn't matter. You don't have to be that big and tall to be able mm-hmm. to do something like that if you have quickness and, and understanding and all those types of things that Wes Welker had. Okay, since we only have a, a couple of minutes left, I want to just get your take on how the quarterbacks played out just in the draft as a whole. I mean, Burrow going number one yep. was a foregone conclusion. There was a lot of questions and smoke screens about Tua and then whether Jordan Love would either, uh, you know, even be a first-round draft pick. Clearly the most controversial selection of not only being picked in the first round, but Green Bay trades up for him. And then we see Jalen Hurts go to Philly, which was head scratch for a lot of people and, and a huge gap and, and then you have your Jake Fromms and other guys toward the end and your Jacob Eason's and so forth so what, what was the yeah. thing that stuck out to you about the quarterbacks and so, the way they were picked yeah let me just go through them oh so Stanley was a seventh round pick I'm sorry I think I said he was a sixth rounder earlier um Joe Burrow everybody knew that was the pick uh he seems to have a uh, doesn't maybe doesn't have the huge huge high window, but definitely doesn't. I don't think has a low ceiling. I think he'll be a good quarterback. Uh, you know, Alex Smith is. You know, maybe. Yeah. Um, Tua not a surprise at all to Miami. Not at all. They, like that makes sense. And then Justin Herbert with that pick makes complete sense to the Chargers. Pack twelve, open new stadium. You mm-hmm. know, he he does have all the physical attributes. The Jordan Love is the scratcher to the Packers of all of them. Uh, and the second scratcher is Jalen Hurts. I was really unimpressed. By watching his film, he's a very good athlete. He can throw the football well. He doesn't process information well when he goes mm-hmm. through his reads and, and things like that. He needs a lot of work, but he's a he has unique things that quarterbacks just don't have, uh, and that we're seeing success. We're seeing Lamar Jackson have a ton of success, and he's a you know he's a big strong guy like, and he can run like that. Eason has a ton of talent that I thought somebody like the Patriots. He reminded me of the uh, the Arkansas uh, quarterback from a few years uh, ago, Ryan Mallett. Ryan Mallett. Yeah. Like they're like he's like whatever Ryan Mallett is, I think I think Jacob Eason might be sort of that on off the field type of thing, you know, very talented guy. People thought he uh, um uh, slipped a little bit. James Morgan, I didn't watch enough film on. I need to I actually I should say I watched no film on. A lot of people did really like him coming up FIU guy mm-hmm. uh, and obviously coming from Lane Kiffin so he'll have some 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 uh, experience with NFL style offenses. That pick is sort of an unknown but it's very intriguing to me. I liked from I don't like the Bills offense form. I thought like the Vikings offense where he doesn't have to be a great Josh Allen tries to be a hero every game. Yeah. And sometimes he makes great plays and other times he's wildly inconsistent. 
consistent. And Fromm is like not that type of guy. So your draft that 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 pick is a little bit odd to me. But I do think he's a good NFL quarterback. Um, what else here? The Cole McDowell kid from from uh, Hawaii he's fun. wasn't a big wasn't a big fan of. He is a good athlete, but I wish wasn't a, a huge fan of. But he is hilarious um, to watch. Like he doesn't throw the ball like you're supposed to throw the ball, and he's got yeah. great athleticism. I, I would I would have taken it that late because it was fun. Yeah, you know, and and you see, and you see what what teams do in the draft, and this is what I'm learning over the last few years is you have it's a first or second rounder, and it's usually the, if you're like, oh, we have a guy we think he he can be a starter pretty much right off the bat or early, right early, you sort of have that view, and then you have the mid round picks where we don't think a guy can start right away, but we either see potential. That like there's some things that you know maybe he uh, uh, mentally wasn't exactly like he wasn't ready maturity wise or, uh, or or they see him as maybe like a guy that would be a good backup for a long time and that's like where I was drafted right and then you have everyone just take uh, just take chances on like sixth and seventh or seventh rounders there's also an aspect the quarterback position is so valuable that when you get near the seventh round and I and I went to this uh, the other day. Uh, that yesterday that you know quarterbacks coaches and agents and all these people and and, and dads and, and and the player there's all this negotiating going on mm-hmm. in the sixth round of who's where they would go for free agency right and who might move up so there's all this jockeying going on and what usually happens is if, if a team has an extra seventh round draft pick they say instead of competing with you know three other teams for this guy we like as a free agent let's just take a flyer on him with the seventh rounder and so you see a lot of teams do that with those seventh round draft yes yeah for sure well it will be a fascinating draft class for quarterbacks to track for how somebody like Jalen Hurts might be used by Philadelphia as as someone who could do other things line up in the slot or in in the backfield and they could be creative with him and uh, just whether one of those late round guys becomes something because there are several players with some potential there so Sage well Taysom Hill Taysom Hill and the Saints he's to me, like that could be a Jalen Hurts type. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you know he works into the quarterback role over a number of years, and and Taysom was such a good college quarterback, and he was sort of like he was gritty, and and he, and he could do a lot of things, and they ran the option some, and he ran a lot, and could throw pretty good. And to me, like that, that would be Jalen Hurts' mm-hmm. comp right now. Is if you want to try to use him, it's obviously not going to be much this year, but there's probably third and ones and fourth and ones in these situations where he would be a great guy to have at that position. Yep, and I understand it too from the perspective that Carson Wentz gets himself hurt a lot, and you yep. know you got to have some other option and somebody who can move like Carson Wentz, even if he is a poor man's version. So Sage, well, uh, the lead up to the draft, very fun, and we will continue to talk about it with you. And uh, you need to go home and. Uh, well, you're already home. You need to go uh, to your computer and grind some tape so we can uh, get some further analysis on some of these guys. You've already got Cameron Dantzler, um, so uh, why don't you sit down, break it down, and we'll get more of your analysis on Wednesday then. Yeah, you know, sounds good. Yeah, I, uh, Target got the best of me this morning. Man, I went there and went all out. Uh, you know, when I go to the stores, I, I try to make the most of yes, it. Yes, so yeah, we got do the, the best same. Those groceries have been sitting in my uh, car for so I got a little uh, some work to do uh, before I, I get to some tape. But man, I'm really looking forward to trying to find some of these college kids and, and having a better feel for them. I can't sit there and watch you know 350 college players and give <laughs> right. them all grades. Not my gig. Not my thing. Sort of like let's wait and see how they get the NFL. But I would I'm really looking forward to to watching some of these college guys uh, and seeing how maybe how their skill sets might translate to Mike Zimmer and Gary Kubiak's uh, uh, defense and offense. Well, that's the way to. Do- 
do it. Wait till they actually get the draft picks, then watch the tape as opposed to before and the other way around. So, uh, all right, well, we'll get your breakdown then on Wednesday and uh, appreciate all of your work leading up to the draft. It was really fun. Thank you, and uh, you know we'll see. Well, ho- hopefully there is a season, but I do like the fact that the you know the Vikings got you know these guys. Uh, I, I'm happy. I'm super happy the draft occurred. Initially, I think I even may have said like I'm not a big fan of it, but you know what? I'm super happy it occurred. I thought it was a great experience. It was yes. the best draft, and I did not sit there and watch the entire thing. I was mowing the yard and cooking lunch and dinner and whatever for my kids. Uh, but uh, you know. Uh, focused on what the Vikings were picking, obviously, uh, and it was so much fun. I got from all sorts of people, people mm-hmm. that never yep. watched the draft. They I agree. loved the 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 reactions of the players with their families and their homes and the coaches and the GMs with their kids, and and I thought it was a really really unique experience and uh, and maybe the best draft that the NFL has ever put on. Yes, I totally agree that the broadcast deserves an A plus, and even Raj, he used every bit of his energy there announcing picks and was exhausted by the end, but uh, it was a fun experience. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus. We'll break down who won and lost the draft and uh, if the Vikings had the best draft of any team in the NFL will return here on Purple Daily. We know you are spending more time at home during the coronavirus pandemic and we're here for you at Score North in multiple ways. The free Score North app on your phone or tablet, scorenorth.com on AM 1500 or by saying Alexa open Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. Man, you add Justin Jefferson to the mix. Unlike, and I'm sorry, Packers fans, you know you needed a wide receiver. Well, they lost Stephon Diggs, and they went out and got a new Stephon Diggs for their offense, and that's what Justin Jefferson can do. But it didn't stop there. Jeff Gladney, to me, was the third best corner in this draft. Um, while he is only five foot ten, a little over five ten, he does have the ability to uh, make a tremendous amount of plays on the football. Hour number two of Purple Daily. We welcome right in our friend from Pro Football Focus, Eric Eager. And here is my question for you, Eric. The consensus across the board, the entire world has gathered together to praise the Minnesota Vikings draft and raise it up and show it to everyone. Look at this draft. It's wonderful. Uh, And I have a really tough time arguing with that. Do you have any sort of counterpoint to people who have said the Vikings have had a really, really good draft? No, I, <laughs> the, the hard part is, you know, you and I, I think, have been really fair to the Vikings this offseason, and and up until Thursday, their offseason has been bad. I mean, you know, not a lot of direction, um, you know, buying into Kirk Cousins while trying to, you know, showing off, you know, the rebuild in other areas, and then they go with this draft, and I think, you know, it's going to be tough for them to really hit on this until 2021, given the pandemic and everything. But I, I can't argue with a whole lot of what they've done. They did a really good job. They took a lot of swings of the bat. And if, you know, I think they got, you know, three or four first round players uh, in their first four picks. So, no, I can't argue. They did a great job. All right. Which one is the best pick then, considering where they were selected, what they might contribute, what they could become? Uh, who did you like the most out of this draft? You know, I think Gladney is probably the best, going to end up being the, the best player. Um, you know, he, he was somebody in, in myself and George Shahuri's mock, we had him going 20th. 
to the Jacksonville Jaguars, which ends up, you know, being a, a really good, uh, you know, pick for them. We also had Ezra Cleveland going in the first round uh, of our mock as well. So those two picks to me, I think are the best ones just because, you know, the Vikings clearly need defensive back help. They clearly needed offensive line help. And I think they got two first round talents way after, you know, um, where they, you know, were, you know, we would have projected them to go. Justin Jefferson's a good player. And I think, you know, there's the only issue with me with him is he's, I think, a little limited in the sense we don't have any tape or any uh, analytics on him playing anywhere but the slot at LSU. Uh, but he's a good football player. And then I think Cameron Dancer's a guy who they got really lucky to get yeah. when they got him because he would not have been uh, available to them as late as he was if not for having misunderstood, you know, what he needed to do in the combine, which was not to gain weight, which was to actually run fast because that's what defensive backs do. Uh, and they, so they got great value, I think, at all four of their picks. Um, you know, and then later on they got, you know, I, I didn't necessarily like the order of any of those players, you know, sometimes, but they got some pretty good ones in the, in the later 11 of their draft picks. Yeah, I felt the same way where it was sort of weird how you know, maybe they overdrafted one guy in the late rounds, but then drafted another one that could have been higher and, and so forth. And I think that they just had their eye on certain people of, uh, of who other teams might also pick in the seventh. So you pick them in the sixth or you pick them in the fifth. So the other teams don't get them. If you think that he was a popular prospect or whatever, there are things that go on beyond the scenes on day three that we don't really fully understand. And sometimes you go, why'd you pick a long snapper? And then it turns out that they knew they could get the receiver and undrafted free agency, but they couldn't get the long snapper. And at that point also, if you're getting upset about that, I don't know how to help you. And I, and I love this stuff. But I, I even can't get worked up about who you picked in the fifth, sixth, and seventh and how you did it. But let me circle back to um, Justin Jefferson and where he fits in. He played in the slot a lot at LSU. Their outside receiver, Jamar Chase, is you know, top five pick Amazing. for next year. Yeah, yep. he's an unbelievable player, which if there's any reason to doubt Joe Burrow, these two fellows are the reason to do it. But um, how do we figure out? how Justin Jefferson is going to fit in to the Minnesota Vikings offense right away and what type of value he could give. Yeah, it's really tricky because when you look last season, so he played, it's it's crazy, but he played 900 and, uh, well, if you take, if you add special teams, let's just clear out special teams, he played 937 snaps. He played five snaps at wide receiver. <laughs> so, so there's, you know, when we do our projection systems, it's basically like, you know, you, he's, he's exactly the reason why and you, you've seen these before. It's exactly the reason why we let you toggle through some of the, some of the situations because for him, it's an absolute question mark as to how he's going to project playing on the outside, um, you know, in a, in a place like Minnesota. So for me, like for him to be good in year one, you know, possibly playing with a, with a shortened off season and so forth. He has to play in the slot, you know, for, for it to be anything of a sure thing. And that's fine. I mean, they, they have Tajay Sharp that has, you know, Adam Thielen obviously is one of the best wide receivers in all of football. So I think he can help there, but it's somewhat perplexing in that they're trying to be a two wide receiver offense that they would take a guy who's predominantly played in, in three or four wide receiver offenses. That would be my only uh, negation here, but he runs the, you know, we think of slot guys being slow. No, he ran in the four fours. Uh, he, you know, contested catches. No one had caught contested balls at a higher rate than he did last year. Um, you know, we all talk about how Burrow elevated that offense. Um, but yeah, but the receivers had to be on the, on the other end of it. And those guys were making 
you know, AJ Terrell was drafted in the first round, you know, 16th by the Falcons. They were making him look like a fool during the, uh, mm-hmm. the national championship game. So, you know, he's a good prospect. I wonder about scheme fit, and that's why I don't think he's the best player the Vikings, you know, the best value the Vikings got, even though he was their you know, highly drafted player. So when we talk about this and how a guy might look in the slot versus outside, now if this was old school where it was, uh, you know, just where the two wide receivers on the outside line up right next to the boundary, I would say, okay, right. I, I get that. But they don't anymore. And, and and Gary Kubiak loves his tight splits to get really football-y on you. But, I mean, how yep. do we how do we factor that in when someone is an outside wide receiver, but maybe they're lined up closer to the line of scrimmage to give them that two-way go? And I think that might be some of the answer to how they use Justin Jefferson and the fact that now the Vikings can mix in and work in different types of receivers in different types of spots. So, you know, you can use BC Johnson, uh, you know, on the as more of the true outside guy when you want to do that. You can have Jefferson on the inside. And also you're going to have a lot of third downs. I mean, you're going to need a slot receiver and three wide receivers on third downs. And Irv Smith, you can kind of move all over the place. He can be outside and you can have Jefferson inside. Um, so I think what they've got here is a lot of versatility and options for the way that they put him in based on who else is on the roster and what kind of offense they run. Yep, and absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, it's so hard. You know, we took at uh, the, the highest drafted wide receiver this year was Henry Ruggs of uh, Alabama. And he was, I think, the fourth most if fourth most productive receiver on that team. But that's a lot. You know, you watched the Kansas City Chiefs last year. They drafted McCole Hardman uh, out of Georgia, and it was the same thing. It was He was less productive because he had to play with a bunch of other players. Yeah. But being a starter on an SEC team that's in the national title hunt is a feat in and of itself. And the same thing with Jefferson. Jefferson's probably playing in the slot at LSU because of what you're saying. Jamar Chase is a... Uh, is a superstar, probably a top five pick next year if he does what he did last year. You know, and, and that, you know, he's in the slot because they're trying to get their best four players on the field all the time in passing situations. So I'm not, you know, the, the issue is not, maybe not that he can't do it. It's just that we haven't seen him do it. And so it's going to be a little bit of an acclimation project. So it might be the case where, yeah, BC Johnson plays, you know, base downs or Tajay Sharp plays base downs early in the season. Chase, or, uh, sorry, uh, Jefferson comes in. And, and plays only, you know, on, on true passing downs. And then he evolves into the role or they use him, as you said, creatively where they maybe have two receivers to one side and he's the inside player. But yeah, there's a ton of different things that they can do with him. My only regret for Minnesota in this draft from that, from the positional standpoint is other than KJ Osborne, they didn't get another receiver who, yeah. you know, I think can complement what Jeff Jefferson does. They did a great job at cornerback. It was a heavy cornerback draft and they, they weren't. Uh, you know, they weren't uh, satisfied with just Gladney. They went and got Dantzler. I think that was a terrific move on the defensive side of the ball. I think they probably could have done something similar with the receiver position because there were guys like James Prochet, uh, you, know, uh, you know, some of the guys that the Ravens got I, I really liked for the Vikings. And, you know, they just didn't. But that, that's just that's splitting hairs at this point. Yeah, I feel the same way that, you know, when we get to that fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, uh, a lot of people wanted interior offensive linemen. And my 
comment is, all right, well, show me the great interior offensive lineman prospects that end up at that point. And even though you know there were some that maybe PFF was higher on, you still, if the entire NFL has passed over that many times, you still can't go crazy on it. Same with K.J. Hill. Like K.J. Hill was a guy that in the sixth or seventh round, wherever he went, I would have said, yeah, why not take a shot on him? But there's also probably a reason why nobody did. Uh, let's talk about Ezra Cleveland and where he fits in here, because the athletic profile looks so much like uh, Brian O'Neill that they're going to be the Spider-Man meme when they show up at training camp. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, it, they still have Riley Reef on the roster. They did not trade for Trent Williams. And, um, you know, there's a possibility he could start at left tackle and have Riley Reef move inside. There's a possibility Reef stays at left tackle. Cleveland competes for a guard spot with Drew Samia and a couple other guys. I mean, what, what do you like for him right away and then long term? Yeah, he's certainly somebody who, when you look at his projections, his yeah, comp is Brian O'Neill, which is awesome for the Vikings because you know somebody said this: the Vikings have had exactly one offensive lineman make a Pro Bowl appearance this last decade, and it was Matt Khalil in 2012, who was an alternate who made who played the game because of an injury. They have not; they have done really poorly at the at this entire collection of five players for a long time. O'Neill being the shining light there, so I like what they did with Cleveland. His his athleticism is awesome. I think of the players that you would want to move inside, it's Reef just because he's got a little bit, you know, wear and tear on the tires. It's a little less movement to play guard, uh, you know, and they can really lean into that zone blocking scheme yeah. with some athletes there at the at the position. I also like Blake Brandel too, the the guy they got later on. Uh, he almost produced as much value last season in a wins above replacement sort of standpoint as Cleveland. So I think they got a couple of good players there, but I do think Cleveland probably starts out at tackle um, because if you're rebuilding, what you don't want to do is you don't want to put a guy at guard one year and then put him at tackle. There's like, there's not as much developmental value in doing that. It's just to say, look, Reese not going to be here long-term. We have to lean into him at guard. Right. Let's, let's put Cleveland at tackle. Uh, I think if he's worth, if he's worthwhile now, we, we've shown that offensive line, it's really hard to, it's really hard to be really good early on. So it might just be a situation where it's better off for him to stick. But if he's good enough to play in an abbreviated offseason, I would just play him at left tackle uh, and put Reef at guard and, and you know shore up a spot that's been a problem for them for years. Okay, Eric, uh, talking with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus here, the PFF Forecast podcast, a must-listen around draft season and all other seasons. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Jordan Love thing. Uh, is there any good case for anything about this Packers draft? And that includes drafting Jordan Love there and trading up for him because I saw him as a second-round prospect. Uh, Peter King reported that most teams were looking at him as a second-round type of player. Somebody who makes that many mistakes in college usually doesn't go to the NFL and stop making mistakes. Um, which so, so that's why you usually wait on someone like that. I'm not saying that he, he has no chance of succeeding. It's just that this type of profile of a prospect is usually not in the first round. And the late first round is a graveyard of quarterbacks. I don't really get it because I think anytime you have Aaron Rodgers, you should just be trying to win the Super Bowl and getting players who can win you the Super Bowl. And then when he's done, he's done. You deal with it then. Yeah, I mean, we never Herbert being, uh, you know, Herbert and Love were two players that we never really saw what the other te- other people saw in them. You know, Love had a decent season in 2018, backed it up with a poor season. Uh, and, you know, and we've seen this with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. When you're an average quarterback, you're going to be at the whims of things around you at the NFL level. 2018, Kirk has, 
you know, a poor offensive line. I mean, the offensive line coach dies in training camp. You have a terrible offensive coordinator, and you're not quite as good. 2019 comes around, and they set up a good environment for him, and he's, and he's fine. He does a really good job. Same thing with Jimmy G, you know, all those quarterbacks. So when I'm looking at a guy, and, I'm, and he's not the blue chipper, he's not Joe Burrow, and, and somebody has to explain away a season because there were bad circumstances, I pass on the guy. Yeah. Because circumstances change at the NFL level all the time. Right. And if you're not able to evolve with them, you're not worthy of a pick. Now, if he if, if he's taken in the second round, it's fine. I, I was happy with the Drew Locke pick a season ago. Now Denver, because they didn't trade back into the first, they had a ton of draft capital to draft all the guys around Locke this year, by the way, which Green Bay won't be able to do next year. Um, but in the first round, it's just a, not a very good pick. And then they double down. You know, Green Bay probably thinks to themselves, okay, we're a, a blowout loss in San Francisco away from having the one seed. We're a blowout loss in San Francisco away from making the Super Bowl. Let's be just like the 49ers yeah. when your quarterback is nothing like the 49ers. And, you know, Jordan Love does look to be that guy. I mean, like those guys, the McVeighs, the Shanahan's, um, you know, they they like to have, you know, now LaFleur, all the same tree. They like to have that quarterback who's just good enough to win with, but you can control and they don't like the personality at QB. That's why Cousins was Shanahan's guy, right? He liked the fact that Kirk was just good enough to win with, but not good enough to be, you know, kind of do his own thing like Rodgers. I think that the, that's a recipe for disaster for Green Bay and should be music to Vikings fans' ears. Yes, no, I, I totally agree. And you look at their 13-3 and three season under a microscope, also you find a lot of areas where they easily could have not been anywhere close to 13-3 and three and sort of got away with some things. And uh, the fact that they add a running back to the mix, too, instead of a playmaker, I think that was even more baffling, where you could talk yourself into Jordan Love. You said, well, okay, Rodgers is getting toward the end of his career and so forth, and you know maybe he's only got a year or two left, so let's get somebody here that we really like. Okay, fine, you can talk me into that. The rest of it, though, Eric, I can't be talked into it. A, a running back? What the hell are you doing? I mean, you just you you've got to be insane to take a running back where they did and not a wide receiver. When you know last year they had a good record, so Matt Lafleur got credit. Their offense wasn't good. I mean, it wasn't great. It was fifteenth in the league in points scored. Rodgers didn't take any type of significant step forward from where he had been in the uh, in him fading into being washed or anything like that. So the best option would have been. Get this guy a playmaker. Get yourself a LaVisca Chenault who you could just give the football and then he's going to run over everybody. And instead, they go with a running back? I just uh, I, I don't get that at all. Well, and then they went and they they took Josiah DeGuara out of Cincinnati, who was a good tight end. and he was a, But now they, they want him to be the Kyle Juszczyk which to me is like drafting a quarterback and wanting him to be Lamar Jackson. Like <laughs> yeah. there's only yeah. one fullback in the there's only one fullback in the NFL that can do put that skill set together and he honed it for 3 years uh you know in Baltimore before he ever went to the 49ers and even then his his you know impact is minimal, right? His impact I wouldn't draft Kyle Juszczyk in the 3rd round and he's Kyle Juszczyk. Yeah, you know, right. so the it, it's just it, it's a perplexing approach like four out of their last five draft picks weren't even ranked on our big board. So it wasn't even like the first three guys were bad. It was also wow. the, the totality of the draft. The trade up may, makes no sense when, you know, the there's optics to these things. We, I mean, I mean, I'm a math guy. I'm an analytics guy, but I know that there's a personal aspect to not only taking, there was one thing where you have Brett Favre and Rogers falls 23 spots and you just 
take him where he happens to be. There's another thing entirely where you move up and take a quarterback. Like that's a want to that I don't think is going to sit well with the quarterback and Aaron Rodgers. So it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And again, like I said, you know, Detroit had a pretty good draft. Chicago had another terrible draft. Yeah. I mean, they gave a 2021 fourth round pick to the Vikings in, in exchange for a fifth round pick in 2020. Like, you know, if, if all the Vikings do is just, you know, take body blows for the next year and a half, they could be the front runner in the division for a long time, despite some of the mistakes they've made. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that really blows my mind about this draft is that usually we say you can't get that far ahead uh, in a draft, that usually you are who you are and then you look for the future. But in the future, it looks like they got way ahead of these other teams that are just spinning in circles, um, except for maybe Detroit, who, again, they drafted a running back. But I, I can't go crazy freaking out about their draft because I think that they did a largely a good job. And I just wanted to say that I, I didn't mean the – Packers could have drafted LaVisca Chenault. I just mean someone like him, you know, like a playmaker, somebody to get the the ball in their hands. So, you know, don't tweet me. Um, But uh, anyway, so the NFC North has this very weird draft outside of the Vikings. Now, where do you look elsewhere in terms of the most interesting, maybe not even the, the best, but a team where you said, okay, wow, we are actually going to have to keep an eye on this because this made sense. And I'll give you mine. It's like sometimes with the draft, fools become geniuses and geniuses become fools just because of uh, circumstance. I think that was the Giants for this one. The Giants have this great draft after we've spent, I don't know, two years making fun of Dave Gettleman. Then we all of a sudden go, oh, okay, well, wow, that actually was pretty good. And the same with John Elway. Oh, uh, all right, all of a sudden you started doing things right. So I, I don't know if there's another team that comes to mind for you. The the best thing that you can do with a young quarterback is to make it as unambiguous as possible. Like, we're not sure that Daniel Jones is going to be any good. We're not sure that Drew Locke is going to be any good. But what we have now with the Giants uh, and the Denver Broncos draft is we're going to know, you know, yep. and that's, yep. that's important. And, you know, because you look at a team like the Jets with the Sam Darnold, you look at whoever was going to start Josh Rose in the last two years. Like, I honestly have no clue whether or not Sam Darnold is good enough to be an NFL quarterback. I have no clue about Josh Rosen. But what we're going to find out pretty quickly, we found out without the Bears. They got Allen Robinson. They got Trey Burton. They got Tariq Cohen. They got Anthony. We know Trubisky sucks, right? And that's <laughs> yes. actually a good thing. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll find out for, for better or worse. And that means, like, if they're bad, they're going to be picking three, and they're going to be, you know, they're going to have Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence uh, a chance at those guys. That's a really valuable thing to do in the NFL nowadays. And that's why I like those two drafts. I like the Arizona Cardinals draft. Um, when I look at that team, you take your second round pick, you get DeAndre Hopkins, you get Josh Jones, who, you know, probably should have been at least the top half of the second round pick. You get him in round three. And Isaiah Simmons, you look at that defense, Buda Baker has a ton of flexibility as a safety and corner. Uh, Hassan Reddick, who was their first round pick a couple of years ago, can play edge or inside linebacker. And now you got Simmons, who can play, you know, free safety and linebacker. You're starting to build, and then Byron Murphy a season ago, Patrick Peterson. Uh, Chandler Jones, like that's a team that if they're not careful, could could uh, you know compete for an NFC West where I see Seattle getting worse, I see the Rams getting worse, and I don't think there's any way that San Francisco can get better. So uh, I think they're the most interesting team coming out of all of this. Yeah, uh, some things change, some things don't. Seattle drafting a guy who had no business whatsoever going toward the end of the first round is certainly a thing that does not change. So um, both both of their drafted both of their first two draft picks. We're like 60 point, you know, you look at a Reese, 
uh, you know, consensus mock. They were both like 60 places too early uh, in the consensus mock. And, you know, and they're, and, and they just say, well, you know, Michael Kendricks was our nickel corner last year and it worked out pretty well. I'm like, no, you had a zero point differential. Somehow you were 11 and five. Yeah. But, well. you know, like, it's just responding to noise, uh, which is, you know, football is, is rife with that. Yeah, Russ can only cover up so much. So, Eric, well, uh, greatly appreciate all of your appearances on here. Of course, it won't be the last, but thank you throughout draft season. And people should listen to the PFF forecast. We will do it again soon, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yep, for sure. Uh, all right, Matt Bowen coming up next here on Purple Daily. You may not be currently thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses, even during the coronavirus pandemic. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or use the keyword red over at scorenorth.com. Like I said, um, he, he loves his cornerbacks big, fast, and you know nasty. So I just want to you know do whatever I can to contribute to the team and help um, bring a Super Bowl. That was Cameron Dantzler, and I think we're going to break some sort of Midwest rule here as we had an Iowa State cyclone, and now we bring on an Iowa Hawkeye onto the show. Uh, Matt Bowen, what's going on, Matt? Is that okay? Yeah, it is. Uh, You guys had Sage on earlier, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah, we did. And when they beat us in in 99, I'm still upset about it. I was at Iowa, and he was at Iowa State. He was a starting quarterback. We went up to Ames. I think we lost 17 to 10. Yeah, I haven't gotten over that at all. And Sage so. probably <laughs> threw – he probably threw for 120 yards or something. It's funny. He, he just has, like, these not really impressive college stats and ends up with a long NFL career. So he was a fourth-rounder. Yes, he, he makes it. You were a sixth-rounder. So, you know, hey, the draft is great. We love to give all the grades. But uh, you never mm-hmm. know, right? No, you don't, because obviously when you're drafted higher, and Sage can speak to this as well, too, you're going to get more opportunity in the NFL when you're a first, second-round pick. As a late-round guy like I was and Sage is a mid-round guy, you don't get as many opportunities. So when you do get those opportunities, you got to be ready to go. I mean, that's as simple as I can say. You have to be ready to go professionally and to step into that opportunity you get. And I got lucky. I got some early opportunities, a six-round pick, and bounce around a little bit. And I always say – you know, I survived seven years, mm-hmm. and so feel good about that. Yeah, it's one of those things that, uh, from a reporter perspective, I'm going to miss this year when we don't have rookie camps because it's fun to see mm-hmm. the fifth rounder, the sixth rounder, who starts to flash even a little bit in shorts. You go, all right, well, we can keep an eye on that guy. And then you see last year someone like B.C. Johnson for the Vikings becomes a good player after being a seventh-round pick, right. so you never know. Um, but I, I want to get your analysis since, you know, we have Sage as our quarterback expert. Well, you're now our DB expert. Jeff Glad- okay. Jeff Gladney in the first round, Cameron Dantzler, they get him. We knew that the Vikings desperately needed to get some cornerbacks. How did they do here, in your opinion? Well, Matt, the last time we talked, we we discussed Jeff Gladney. Yep, I mean, we sure he, did. He, he, you know, like I said in our previous discussion, that's the guy I want in the DB room. I want to coach guys like that. You know, competitive, tough. Want to challenge wide receivers to the line of scrimmage. Both are willing tacklers. You can't play in Minnesota for Coach Zimmer if you're not going to tackle. He's a willing tackler. He will attack the ball, drive downhill. He's got good short area speed, a ton of on the ball production at TCU. And he might, some, some people might say he's a little undersized. I think he plays much bigger than that size because he knows how to find the football and finish at the point of attack. And with Cam Dancer, you know, Cam Dancer didn't run a great time at the combine. This is 
kind of going back to what you were speaking about. None of that matters anymore. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Can you play or not? And that's what we're going to find out. Cam Dancer, again, ultra competitive, makes plays in the football, good in zone coverage. He's got great eyes in zone coverage. You know, Minnesota will play man. They'll play their, their zone coverages or more split safety coverages. That's when you have both these corners rolled up and sinking at the snap. That's when they can use their eyes, their short area speed to explode in the football and finish. I thought those are two excellent picks that fit the scheme, obviously fill a need, more importantly fit the scheme and what they want in the secondary in Minnesota. You know, just from doing this for a while, you, your ear gets trained of listening to the football people talk about what works, what doesn't, and so forth. And with both of these guys, the sort of natural football player element to them and the intangibles for both seem to match up with what it takes for that position. Because, man, it, like if you aren't tough or or you can't get over it when you make a mistake, you're just going to fall apart and not be good. I, I'd, I'd like to hear you talk about that, of what it takes to be in the secondary uh, and and be good from a mental makeup standpoint. Well, it, it, it's extremely important, even more so the cornerback position, because you are going to give up plays. I mean, even the best corners in the league get beat. I mean, it happens. You're going against the best wide receivers in the world, the best quarterback in the world, some of the best play callers in the world. They're going to scheme you up. They're going to get you isolated, and they're going to try to pick on you. You have to win some matchups. When you lose one, you got to come back and do it again because they're going to continue to test you. Whether you play three years, whether you play 10 years, you're on an island by yourself. Even if you have safety help over the top, it's still about you winning that matchup. And it really starts at the line of scrimmage. Can you win at the line of scrimmage? That's a transition for all the young corners when they come into the league. Can you win against the line of scrimmage? If you have to go up against Julio Jones, can you impact that release? Okay, that's the first part. You win that part, great. Now there's three other parts to get to the end of the play. It's a long process, but... The mental makeup of a defensive back, if I'm a coach, and I think this is what Minnesota looks for, I want guys that are physical and tough. Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't talk about that enough. You know, during the draft process, Matthew, it's all about high weight and speed, yep. what you run the 40, what you're okay. Like I said, that stuff's all gone now. Okay, are you a tough and physical football player? Can you take hard coaching? You're going to be coached hard in Minnesota. I can tell you that right now. You're going to be coached hard in that secondary. Can you respond quickly to adversity? Like I said, you're going to give up some plays. And can you take that coaching? and transition that to the game field because that's what really comes into play. What you're going to do in training camp, can you take it to the game field? Do you have the mental capacity? Do you have the physical capacity to survive NFL competition? I think these two guys do, and now we're going to see a playoff. Now, how about the experience that they're going to get right away? Because this is a team that doesn't have, I mean, they have a lot more now after day three, especially, but you know, they went into this with hardly any defensive backs in the DB room. And I know it's a team that wants to be in the playoffs still, but I can't see a downside to having Cameron Dantzler, Jeff Gladney, Harrison Hand. You know, they got all these guys. I, I can't see a downside to have all the young guys come in and compete together. No, you can never have too many defensive backs. I mean, that's, they can never have that. One, mm-hmm. those are also your core special teams players. Okay, most wide receivers are not running down the field on kickoff covers. They're just not. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're not. They're your defensive backs. They're going to play on, on punt coverage as gunners. They're going to play on punt return as jammers outside. They're going to block in the front line of kickoff coverage. They're going to do all that stuff because they have to do it on game day. You only dress 46 guys, so you get your best athletes on the field in those situations. But also... The only way to really develop, and look, I understand. We talk about this is a discussion I have with people all the time about the quarterback position. Defensive backs are different. You know how you develop? You play. you got to go out and play. Right, you have right. to experience that. You really do. 
And look, if you start two young corners, you're going to have some ups and downs. So as a Vikings fan, you got to understand that. They're going to give up some plays. But you know what? What you want by midseason is that it all starts to click. Right. Okay, and that's when – that's when look, the NFL season, in my opinion, really starts at Thanksgiving, right? That's when the team starts to separate and make a run for the postseason. That's when you want your young corners to be locked in and dialed in and know they can go into the film room now and self-scout their own film and say, this is why they're attacking me here. This is why I continue to get this route. This is how I can now take it away, right? So that's what you're going to have to kind of live through at the beginning as a coach, as a fan, everyone involved, that they're going to give up some plays. But you know what? Those are correctable moments. you got to go through that first. Yeah, and I think they're going to learn just a lot about these guys, even to how they prepare to get themselves to training camp with OTAs, minicamp, all that's off mm-hmm. the table. So it's even more the onus on the guy to be ready when he finally gets there. Uh, I, I want your opinion on Antoine Winfield Jr.'s fit in Tampa Bay because I know that you were a huge fan watching his tape. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota Vikings fans would have loved to see him end up in Minnesota, but I think what we're going to have is probably Anthony Harris sign a long-term contract extension so it didn't work out but if you're Winfield I mean you go immediately to a team that has a chance to compete for a Super Bowl Um, but but how do you like his fit in that defense specifically I really like it they're going to play some quarters some split safety coverage and I think they will use him in terms of his versatility move him around especially when he gets to their sub package you can see him roll down over a slot and match there you can see him as a blitzer which he did at the University of Minnesota blitzing from that second level finding daylight to get homes to quarterback He's going to be great on special teams for him. You know that immediately because he has, uh, you know, the physical play style to do that. I think it's a great fit for him. And I understand that Vikings fans wanted him. Anthony Harris is a really good safety now. Right. Anthony Harris yep. does not get enough credit that he deserves. He's got great ball skills. He can close in the football. He is a perfect fit for Coach Zimmerski. Um, by the way, Jonathan dug up the box score to the game you were talking about, and our friend, okay. our friend Sage threw thirteen passes that day. So I guess he didn't. Yeah, did we it. probably didn't throw many, many more. I mean, that was in the nineteen nineties, Big Ten, Big Twelve football. I mean, there were still teams running the triple option. Then, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had a guy run for uh, 252 on you. I'm sure that, uh, that, I know that who it is. is not great after is. that to, uh, to watch the film back. So uh, good good yeah. job, Jonathan, digging that up. Um, so I, let me just get your perspective sort of big picture on how this draft went. I mean, I know, obviously, you're part of ESPN's analysis team, but I just think across the board, Matt, it was brilliant. I mean, it went off so well. For ESPN and NFL Network and everybody who was involved, and I can't imagine all that went into it. But I found myself, even though we were doing uh, draft coverage, sort of captivated on how they were, you know, going out to different people and telling their stories and doing all those things. Uh, it, it just, I want more elements of what happened in this draft to be in the future, even when things are back to normal. Right, there was a great human element. That's the best way to say. Yes, it. Um, yes. you know, you got. You got an insight into watching general managers in their homes, head coaches, assistant coaches in their homes, their families around mm-hmm. them, and to see the draft picks, you know, with their families around them. Um, it was it was great. I mean, uh, I, I thought we did an excellent job at ESPN. I can't say enough for our producers, our on-air talent, everyone behind the scenes. They did an excellent job. And, and on the digital side at ESPN, uh, you know, my editors, Mm-hmm. Um, our content manager did an awesome job of putting this together. Uh, complete team effort, but it was it was great. And I think it might change going forward, like you said, in terms of the coverage of the draft and how it's handled moving forward down the years because there so, were so many great things that came from this broadcast. 
Now, before I let you go, man, I just want to know um, the team or the player where you are came away from their picks or their draft and went, okay, I am very, very interested to see how this plays out. I mean, that's all of us all the time with all teams. But the one that really, really piqued your interest, um, you know, over the last couple of days. I think it's the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and it's not just drafting Jordan Love. And I think Jordan Love can be an excellent pro. He's got all the natural traits. He's going to need to be coached hard. He's not ready to play just yet. So he went to a situation where he can develop. But just their overall draft. Okay, a downhill running back, another tight end, more offensive linemen. I'm starting to think, is Green Bay going to transition in terms of how they scheme offensively and how they want to be viewed offensively? Are they going to be more of a downhill, play-action, physical team that would resemble more of what you see with Kyle Shanahan's offense out in San Francisco? And that's what I'm really wondering coming out of this draft. There's a lot of teams that had great drafts. Minnesota's up there. Obviously, Baltimore. I like what the Colts did. Cleveland. The Cincinnati Bengals, I like what they did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you start to look at big picture and how teams draft. Green Bay stands out to me just because of the personnel they target. We know that Green Bay had you know a need at wide receiver. They did not do that. So are they going to have an offense that is going to be more classic pro style going forward in the future? And how do you think Aaron Rodgers takes all this? I mean, you know, he, I, he had a good season last year. They win 13 games. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure he was on his couch saying, can you give me another playmaker, please? Maybe somebody who can catch the ball and run with it? Right. Right. No, I understand that. But i also say this. If I'm a coach or general manager, my job is to build a football team. And I think sometimes when we look at the draft, we want immediate results, right? One guy is going to start day one and be stars. But you also have to build your football team and get stronger as a football team. Um, that quarterback room in Green Bay needed to be upgraded, you know, in terms of the depth behind Aaron Rodgers. They did that. Uh, and like I said, I don't believe Jordan Love is ready to play football just yet, but they are strengthening their football team by making that a better position, more depth of that position. And it just happened to be in the first round, which we don't usually see. But again, if I'm the GM, I have to create an entire football team moving forward. And I think that's what they did. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And we always forget that, you know, a lot of it is for two or three years out that you, you know, right. take these guys, not necessarily for what's going to happen next year. Matt Bowen, he is a writer and analyst for ESPN, also on one of the best shows on television, NFL Matchup. And uh, great to have you on. Great to get your, your breakdowns, Matt. I hope we can do it again soon. All right. Thank you, Matthew. Yep. Matt Bowen there. Um, follow him on Twitter at Matt Bowen 41, former sixth round draft pick of the St. Louis Rams and made a heck of a career out of it. And uh, I just always have the great respect for guys. And it feels like they, a lot of them become analysts because you have to be really smart and savvy if you're going to make that long of a career for uh, you know, a sixth round pick. So, all right, Jonathan, um, you said that you have gone through some of the audio from... <laughs> The other day, uh, I was on, I think, 10 conference calls, Oof. maybe more than that on Saturday. That was my whole day. So if you were outside walking around a lake or something, I was on conference calls with uh, all these guys getting drafted because the Vikings decided to trade for the entire fifth, sixth and seventh round. So you've picked out some interesting things that stuck out to you for us to discuss. Where do we begin? I actually want to start with something that was on the station's airwaves uh, last week when you guys had Mike Tannenbaum on, Tannenbaum on, and he said this. Again, playing to the depths of this draft and the receivers, if one of those tackles is close to 22, I, I would definitely consider it. But again, 
the corner situation is also like a borderline emergency, just given the fact <laughs> yeah. that they lost so many guys a couple, you know, over the last couple of months. It sure was. So borderline emergency. Did they do enough to take us off that ledge a little bit? I like the way that Sage put it, that they poured some water on the fire. Uh, we don't know if Jeff Gladney's going to be able to step in right away. Matt Bowen there laid out brilliantly the challenges that exist if you're trying to do that um, and, and how tough it is to step into the NFL, especially with no rookie minicamp and so forth. That's going to be really hard, but they definitely did a good job here. I think Dantzler is a guy to watch, and I'm going to go watch more of him today because yesterday was sort of just like getting all of the people, or Saturday, I mean, getting all of the people. And then yesterday I was working on a piece about K.J. Osborne, which you could see at our site, scorenorth.com. But I, I want to see a little more of Dantzler because on Pro Football Focus's entire big board, he was rated as the 50th best player. Uh, on their top 250 big board. And uh, then he has that tough combine, which again, like Matt said, you don't run the 40 in the NFL, you play football. So <laughs> like this guy, when, when he played from everyone I've seen, said was a very, very good player and, and a natural player. So I want to see more of him. Uh, that's a good pick there. And then they just threw picks at it. Like Harrison Hand, the guy out of Temple, they get uh, Josh Metellus out of Michigan as a safety. They drafted another safety, Brian Cole from Texas A&M, I think. And uh, so, like, numbers at it, uh, because it wasn't just borderline emergency at corner, but also safety. They had no backup safeties. Anderson Dejo and J. Ron Curse both left in free agency, too. So I think they did a very, very good job of that. And the saying is right that you can't have enough of them, it's true, because you just don't know who's going to work out and who isn't, so you might as well just pick a bunch of them and see what sticks. Here was uh, Rick Spielman from Friday night talking about his new offensive lineman, whether, where, he doesn't really talk about where he'll play, but basically why they drafted Ezra Cleveland. The coaches will figure out uh, the best five offensive linemen. I mean, there's no one, everybody that we've drafted, you, you know, they have to come in and still earn a spot. Uh, you know, to, to be a starter or a backup. Um, but we think he just has a, an extremely high ceiling. Uh, felt the, the, almost identical when we went through that tape. And then when we uh, we talked about Brian O'Neill uh, two years ago, it was almost the same type of conversation. Where do you see him playing and how do you think this will work this year for the Vikings Offensive line. Yeah, you know, initially I thought, okay, maybe you can start him at guard and then slide him over to left tackle. And that is a possibility, but it seems like there's even more of a possibility for people who have studied his game closer that he just is their left tackle and then you move Riley Reef into guard where he'll have to make a quick adjustment. That's if he's ready. But if he's not, I mean, Brian O'Neill was not ready right away either. He came into training camp, and I remember in mini uh, camp going, this guy's a tackle. (laughs) It's not Ezra Cleveland's problem that he needs to put on weight. He's over 300 pounds, but Brian O'Neill might have been what he actually looked at like, not what he weighed in at the combine, might have been 285 pounds, and then he had to get himself up to 295, 300 to be able to play the way that he has uh, over the last 
couple of years, and, and he did a good job stepping in right away. There was a lot of hang on for dear life moments in Brian O'Neill's first year, but then the second year he started to really develop and get confidence. And I think that's what you want from Ezra Cleveland either way. Maybe he starts at left tackle. He does have a lot of experience as a left tackle at Boise State, but if he doesn't, well, that's still okay. Like that's still all right. Like that doesn't mean your pick is a bust if you end up with Riley Reef and Drew Samia and Dakota Dozier and uh, Garrett Bradbury. It just means that you're still going to have to kind of make it work with Gary Kubiak's offense and and see how it goes there. Um, but to have the future set at left and right tackle and possibly center if Bradbury takes big steps forward, as so many do in their second year, well, then for the first time in 2021, you'd feel like you've got an offensive line that's going the right way. And even right now, because they drafted some developmental guys last year like Samia, you feel like for the first time in quite a while that they've taken the right approach to the offensive line instead of signing the Josh Kleins of the world you know, to come in, not be very good, and then cut them right away, or the same with Mike Remmers. So the Vikings director of college scouting, Jamal Stevenson, also is one of the many people that spoke with you guys on conference call and he's talking about their fourth round selection, DJ Woonham, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's either Wonham? that or Wanham. I think Wonham? it's Wanham. Wonham. Or at least I, I want him to say it that way for the puns. <laughs> uh, here's the clip. <laughs> Maybe. I distracted you. And that, that same KJ Osborne uh, leader. Um, you know, we had a chance to talk to uh, his head coach down there, and just they, they just raved about the kid as a person. Uh, but then when you turn on the tape, you know, you watch him against Georgia and those two offensive tackles. He played really well in that game. Um, you know, and that was kind of our litmus test uh, for a lot of these deep defensive linemen. But then you watch him as well versus South Carolina. I think that was one of his better games. Had two sacks in that game, uh, or three sacks, I can't remember. But that, that one really put him on the map. He's long. He's athletic. Uh, he's very coachable. He's a good kid off the field. So, you know, he, he fits the Viking mold, for sure. Yeah, I think Jamal meant to say Kentucky. It was the Kentucky game that he was really good. He went to South Carolina. Uh, DJ Wanham's an interesting one because from his height length of arms weight 40 yard dash some of the other explosiveness he's got a lot of daniel hunter to him that does not mean he's daniel hunter no one is daniel hunter there was a lot of comparisons over the weekend to daniel hunter they have a type though like this Mm -hmm. is what they're looking for steven weatherly was the same sort of deal they either pick guys who are highly highly productive in college like james lynch or they pick guys who have a high ceiling that if dj wanham had 15 sacks he would have been a top 10 pick so, you know, the reason that he's not a top 10 pick is that he didn't get 15 sacks. And I get where people would say, look, he didn't produce anything in college. Why are you selecting him? But Andre Patterson, their defensive line coach slash D coordinator, told the Vikings he wanted him. If Andre Patterson says it, you just go with it because he's the one that's developed so many of these guys into very good players. And I would have that approach, too. I also want to say that one of the reasons the Vikings, I think, do well in the draft overall I mean, look, no one is perfect. There have been some that we have criticized um, a lot over the years, some that have gone extreme bust. But they have a front office with people like Jamal Stevenson and a coaching staff with Zimmer and, and Andre Patterson who are very good at identifying certain positions. And defensive line is definitely one of them. So if you get a chance, check out scorenorth.com. Look at my article at uh, about K.J. Osborne, their wide receiver from Miami. Also, I wrote the other day about Jeff Gladney and his intangibles. Appreciate Eric Eager, uh, Matt Bowen, 
Sage Rosenfels, Courtney Cronin all joining, and we will be breaking this down in every which angle the entire week. So uh, appreciate all of you also who listen to our draft coverage as well. We will see you tomorrow. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next on Purple Daily. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.